Well, thank you very much for your singing this morning. We'll have an opportunity to sing in a short while. But as we prepare to turn to our scripture this morning, I want to highlight one other ministry opportunity for you. Coming up on Saturday, November 5th, there's a great opportunity for women. And it's going to be taking place right here in the CLC from 8.30 until noon. There's no cost to this, but it's a women's retreat. And this year's theme is, Where Are You Planted? It's going to be looking at the parable of the sower. So again, mark your calendars, women. That's coming up on Saturday, November 5th, beginning at 8.30 in the morning and lasting until approximately noon. Um, So you'll want to come here and be a part of that. It's going to be a great event, a great opportunity to grow in your faith and continue to build connections with others from around the church. This morning, we're turning on our scripture passages and continuing to talk about growing in our relationship with God, and we're going to be looking at Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning, and we're going to be talking about what it means to have persistent faith. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, you can follow along on the screen behind me. If like Karen, you're using your app, I'd encourage you to pull out your phone or your device and and be looking at that this morning. Or if you brought your Bible along with you, feel free to use that. But Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, this is entitled, The Parable of the Widow and the Unjust Judge. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray. Their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for the people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while the judge refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming." And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him both day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them, and yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we bow before you this morning, and Lord, we do thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather in this space to worship this morning. And Lord, we pray that as we gather together, that indeed you would be honored and glorified, that the meditations of our our hearts, the, the words that come forth from our mouths, that everything we say and do would bring honor and glory to your name. And Father, we pray that this morning as we talk about prayer, as we talk about this important aspect of our faith, that you would open our eyes, that we might see new insights and understanding, that you might unclog our ears, that we might hear your voice in fresh new ways. And Lord, we pray that you would give us lives that are ready to go and live out that truth. So may your Holy Spirit be at work in us and in this place today. And Lord, I ask humbly now that you would speak through me over these next few moments, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me, but I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Amen. 
Well, it was about a decade ago when my family and I made the transition from central Pennsylvania in the Mount Union area to come to the York area. We, moved, we were moving to Hanover, Pennsylvania, about 30 minutes from where we currently call home. And as we were coming to town, one of the important tasks on our checklist was to find a place to live, because, you know, that's kind of important. And being so far away, one of the easiest ways to do that was to begin to look at web listings and different house listings that we could find on the internet. And we found some that we liked and we sent them to a realtor in the area. And there was one that I really liked, but Crystal really didn't like. I thought, man, this is going to be our house. So we went through and over the course of really an entire day, we visited as many houses that we could. And the final house that we went to was the one that I thought for certain we would love and the one that she was dead set against. And we pulled up and it's this modest Cape Cod style house with the white fencing around it. And there's really nothing remarkable from the curb that you could see. We opened up the doors and there were hard wood floors and it looked very nice inside. It looked like a place maybe we could call home. There was a finished upstairs, which we envisioned being able to turn into two kids' rooms. Our kids were small at that time. Quentin wasn't nearly as tall as he is now. But we had dreams. We had goals. We, we thought, this, this could be good. But then it happened. The kids stepped into the kitchen and they were able to see what they had not been able to see from the curb. Through the back windows in the backyard, there was a pirate ship. And I mean, it was a ship. It wasn't some little kid's, you know, plastic place set. This was an old sailboat that someone had brought into the backyard and they had drilled some holes and cubbies in the bottom. The kids could build forts, they could play, they could crawl around. They had replaced the decking, they had put up a mast. We had visions of maybe flying a family flag up there, which never did happen. But then on the back they had put this shed and it was truly a shed that they had taken and converted and there was a door and there were slides coming off both the front and the back. One was big and twisty and turny and then on that back just off that shed area there was this little porch or patio area and Maddie used to love to stand out there with a broom handle and sing. And then on top of it was this viewing deck with telescopes and water cannons and they could hook up hoses and shoot intruders and invaders as they came and we could sit up there and watch pirates and all these sorts of things. So we put an offer in on the home and we got it. It was a great thing and our kids enjoyed it for many years. But that first fall that we were living in that home, Quentin was going through this parkour stage, and if you're not familiar with what parkour is, you basically jump, twist, turn, somersault over whatever's in your way. It could be a curb, it could be a light pole, it could be a mast of a ship. And so he's going through this parkour stage of life. My parents are down to visit for the weekend. We're having this campfire out back. We can see all that's going on in the pirate ship. And so Quentin just comes barreling along the deck, runs right through the cabin area, across the back porch, and decides that he's going to gloriously jump off somersault and probably land gracefully on the ground. Needless to say, that didn't happen. 
He jumps, but he didn't jump high enough. And his foot caught that railing that was on the back porch of that ship, and he fell to the ground, not nearly gracefully in the way that he had planned. And he would have probably had a concussion or seriously damaged his face had it not been for the fact that he decided to stick out an arm to protect himself. He came up a little bloody, his hand raised in the air, and it's flopping about in ways that it probably really shouldn't have been. But it did protect his face. There was just that bloodied lip. But whether it was the endorphins or the adrenaline or all those things combined, or maybe just fear of what had happened, he's standing there with his arm raised like this, convincing us again and again, nothing's wrong, it's all okay. And so, as inexperienced parents, we put him on the couch, let him watch some TV. His arm was padded with ice. But my dad, who had many years of parenting experience on us, he went in to check on him later on. Quentin's hand was beginning to turn gray. He said, I think it's broken. You may need to take him to the hospital. It wasn't our finest moment as parents. I'll confess to that right away this morning. It wasn't our finest moment. There are things that we would have done differently, things that I wish we had done better. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in today's scripture, Jesus tells a parable. And the parable has two central characters. The first is this widow that we're introduced to right away. This person who in the ancient Near East was vulnerable. Her husband had died. The one who was to protect her, the one who was to provide for her, the one who was to make sure that life continued on as it should has been removed from her life. And now she's been left alone. She has to provide for herself. She has to find a way to take care of her needs. Now, there was provision in that society. In the Old Testament book of the law, it was provided that the society was supposed to care for her, that they were to look after her, that they were to meet her basic needs. But the problem was that often didn't happen. As people are known to do, they fail to live up to what the law requires. They fail to live up to the standard and the desire that God has for his people. And that's exactly what happened. And so there were judges. There were people to arbitrate. People to make sure that this, that this widow wasn't exploited. That she wasn't taken advantage of. That she did have her needs met. And that's where a second character enters in. He's a judge. He's someone who we would think is supposed to be fair. Someone who, according to the law, was to serve as an arbiter of justice in a situation just as the one described. This was someone who was supposed to be known for their impartiality. Someone who would exercise care and concern, not only for the elite of society, but on those, or for those on the fringes, those who were often neglected and looked over and bypassed. This was supposed to be a person of strong morals. Someone who not only looked out for their own needs, but was going to care for others. But Jesus says in this parable, this particular judge is nothing like that. It's not like the judge that we would expect to find. And it's not like the judge that the Old Testament prescribed. Now, this judge, according to verse 4, neither feared God nor had respect for the people. Seems like he cared only for himself. 
So needless to say, this judge in the parable, he's not a beloved member of the community. This judge didn't really care about justice. And that meant he didn't care for this widow. He didn't care for this widow who was neglected, who had been oppressed, it seems, by some opponent, who maybe has had some lies and false charges brought against her. He didn't care about her. He didn't look out for the cause of this woman. and He didn't even want to deal with her case. But this woman, she was persistent. This widow, she didn't give up. She didn't stop. She kept coming to him. Day and night, she would come to him. She didn't allow his callousness to get in the way. She kept pleading her case again and again. She would share her story. She would talk to the judge about what she felt needed to be done, what justice looked like in this situation. She kept persisting. And finally, Jesus says, it happens. This cold, uncaring, unjust judge, he gives in and he listens to her plea for mercy and for justice. He arbitrates fairly. But I love what Jesus says. He did it really out of self-interest because he did not want to be worn out by this woman, this widow, who kept coming to him. He didn't want to be exhausted by her. What's the point of this story? Why does Jesus tell this parable? Well, if we go back to verse 1, Luke tells us why this parable is being told. He says, Jesus wants to teach his followers about the need to pray and to not lose heart. He wanted to teach his followers about persistence in prayer, even if it felt like their prayer requests weren't being heard, and even if their prayers felt like they weren't being answered. He wanted to talk about prayer to those original hearers, those first followers, and to remind them that they needed to pray both day and night, Scripture says, knowing that they were God's chosen, that God loved them and had made the decision to be in relationship with them. But now back to that less than stellar parenting moment I was talking about. As parents, there were things that Crystal and I could and wish we would have done differently. We wish we would have done a better job of assessing the situation, uh, of paying attention to all that was going on. I mean, the back deck was about shoulder height for me, and, well, it was quite a fall for him. So I wish we had assessed the situation a little bit better because we probably would have realized that as his arms flopping about, something was, in fact, wrong. And instead of paying attention to the bloodied lip, Instead of seeing this little boy standing before us holding his arm, we probably should have started asking some more questions. Questions like, where does it hurt? How bad does it hurt? What Does it feel like a 5 or a 10? Then again, this was the first broken bone in our family. We were novices. We didn't know anything. We were still fairly new to this parenting thing. Our kids were still little. We had a lot to learn. We should have probably asked more questions and just listened more. We would have done things differently. But at the end of the day, we wanted what was best for Quentin. We wanted what was best for his health, and we still do. And we took him to the doctor, and he was able to get that bone mended. But here's the wonderful thing. As much as we love our children, and we want what is best for them, Scripture says that we have a heavenly Father who is a far better parent than we'll ever be. 
We have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who knows us, who knitted us together in our mother's wombs, who fearfully and wonderfully made us. We serve a God, a Heavenly Father, who is intimately aware of the needs that we have, and He has made that decision to choose us, to, to, to give everything, to be in relationship with us. He sent His one and only Son to rescue us and save us. And unlike this unjust judge who doesn't care, Scripture is very clear that God does care about us. He cares about the sin problem so much that he sent his one and only son. But he also, we are told in 1 Peter, wants us to cast our cares and anxieties upon him because he cares for us. He wants us to share those things with him. Those things that break our hearts, those things that keep us up at night, those things that trouble us, as well as the joyful times, the happy things, the good things that take place. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that and we want to take control of the situation or sometimes we think we know better and so we don't talk to him about it. I think for that reason, like those first followers, we need to be reminded just as Jesus reminds them and us today that we are to pray and we're to not lose heart. That with persistence, we need to continue to come before God with our prayers, our praises, our pleas, and our joys. To do as the Apostle Paul said, to pray without ceasing. To pray at all times and in all places. But the question is, how do we actually do that? I mean, if we're going to live this out, how do we do this in practical ways in our lives each and every day, let alone on a moment-by-moment kind of basis? Well, in closing this morning, I just want to offer a few very simple suggestions. And the first is exactly that. It's keep it simple. Keep it simple. Notice that while Jesus spoke of both the need to pray and our need to be persistent in prayer, he didn't spend any time talking about the subject or the substance of what this widow talked about with this unjust judge. We're left to infer that she just spoke honestly, that she shared from her heart openly about all that was going on, that she felt the truth would set her free that the truth would lead to justice, that what she was going through would lead to the situation being resolved in the right and proper way. And so too, we need to be honest with God in our prayers. And I think as a young Christian, that was difficult for me because I heard all these wonderful prayers around me. All these wonderful prayers who were offering up these beautiful prayers with eloquent language that I couldn't, well, I couldn't muster. It didn't make sense to me. Here's the beautiful thing. Whether we have those eloquently framed prayers or whether we just share our heart with God in the most simplest of ways, He hears and He cares. And he wants to know our heart. And like this widow, we need to do that. We need to come before God with those honest prayers and then leave them in his hands, just as this widow did. But here's the good news. We serve a loving Heavenly Father and not this unjust judge. So we can trust him. We can trust him with those answers. The second thing I'd like to suggest is to invite others to join you in prayer. 
What better way to be persistent than to share with others what you're going through and invite them to pray with you? I mean, let's face it, when we invite someone else to hear about a part of our life, when we invite them in, we're inviting accountability. And accountability means that someone can come up to you at any point in time and say, are you still praying for this? Or how has this been, prayer been answered? Or is there a different way that we can be praying for this or for you? And the wonderful thing there is sometimes that serves as a reminder that, oh, I forgot about that. Or, oh, I should be bringing that up before God more often. And sometimes it's a great reminder that, you know what, I don't have to, bury, or we, I don't have to bear this burden alone. I can share it with others and it becomes a lot lighter. It's nice to know that others care about us. It's nice to know that others have concern for what's going on in our lives. It's nice to know there are others who are there. And the third thing I suggest is to keep a prayer journal. And it can be a, an app on your phone. That Note app works really well if you have an iPhone or an Android phone. It can be a physical journal where you write things down. But over the years, for me, this has been incredibly helpful. Because from day to day, sometimes I can forget the things that I've been praying for. And so if I go back today and look at what I prayed for yesterday, it becomes a reminder that I should continue to be praying for that person or that thing or that situation in life today. So it's a great reminder in that respect. But the other wonderful thing that I found about keeping that prayer journal is that when those moments come where I want to give up or where I feel like I'm not being heard or where I'm not hearing a response to the prayers that I'm praying, I can go back and I can look at answered prayers. I can see the ways that God has responded in the past in other situations regarding other people, regarding things in my own life. And those can become great reminders that although we may not see what God is doing right here, right now, in the future, we might be able to look back and say, wow, God was doing something great that I didn't even know was happening. And it can be just that little nudge to keep persisting, to keep praying, to keep coming before God with those prayers, with those requests, with those pleas, with those joys, whatever they may be. And going back to that simplicity thing, the fourth thing I'd like to suggest this morning is to schedule a time to actually maybe set up an appointment in your calendar to put it in your day timer, but make an appointment with God. And I say that goes back to simplicity because let's be honest, if you're at all like most people, whatever you put on your calendar, whatever you see as an appointment are the things that are going to get done. Those are the tasks that are going to get accomplished. Those are the projects that you're going to work towards. Those are the things you're going to put your time, energy, and effort into. But I also think there's something incredibly biblical about this. The gospel writers, and I'm not talking about just one or two, I'm talking about all four of them, they talk about how Jesus had this regular habit. It was a habit that they, as the gospel writers noted, it was a habit that the, the disciples saw that the wider community witnessed, and it was that Jesus got up very early in the morning, and he'd often go out to a mountainside to be alone to pray. He'd go up, and he would spend time in the garden but almost every major decision in Jesus' life and ministry was preceded by that statement very early in the morning, and then we find Jesus somewhere. 
But then they also talk about how very early in the morning, sometimes before they would move from town to town, he would be again in prayer. It was a regular part of his life and routine. And let's face it, if he's the Son of God and he needs that regular time, I don't know about you, but how much more do you and I need that? I can't remember the last time I walked on water. I can't remember the last time I turned water to wine. So if he was able to do those things, and if he was able to do the healings that he accomplished, and he needed that regular time with God, how much more should that be a priority for us? But it wasn't just Jesus, right? If you, we go back to the Old Testament times, it was regular for God's people to spend regular periods of time in prayer, morning, noon, and night. It set those as times where they could get away and spend time with God. And then more recently in the monastic communities, there, were men and, there are men and women who observe seven or sometimes more hours a day, the, the liturgy of hours. And they'll spend 10, 20, maybe 30 minutes every few hours praying to God for their needs, the needs of the community, the needs of the world, specific needs that have been brought to mind. And so we have some great examples of this. When it comes to persistence, it's just a matter of finding what's right for us, what works best for us. Maybe it is setting that appointment, or maybe it's saying, you know what, every morning at breakfast time, I'm going to start my day out in prayer. Every day at lunchtime, I'm going to spend 10 or 15 minutes of my lunchtime in prayer, or I'm going to spend time around dinner in prayer. Or maybe it is getting up very early in the morning, or maybe it's staying up a little bit later at night. But find that time. Schedule that time. Put it on your calendar. Make it a priority. And finally, finally, find a specific place to pray. Right Throughout life, we have very specific places that we go for very particular things. Many of you this morning probably went to your garage this morning with the intent of getting your car so that you could come to church. What do we do with our garages? Well, we store our cars there. We work on them. We, well, some of us store a lot of stuff there too. But I'm sure many of you also went to the restroom or the, the bathroom this morning, whatever you call it, and you went there with a specific plan in mind. We won't talk about some of those things, but you, you, you went to get a shower. You went to do your grooming. You, you, you went to make sure every hair was in its right place before you came to church. We go to that place with a specific goal or intention in mind. In the same way, we go to libraries to, to look at books, to check them out. and we, we go to specific stores to buy particular things. I wouldn't go to REI, which is known as being an outdoor store with the hope of picking up a gallon of milk to go home at night. But I probably would go to Walmart or Giant or Wise because I know they have those things there. So when it comes to our relationship with God, maybe we need to find those particular places. Maybe it's a specific chair in your home where just as you sit down, you, you experience peace and rest washing over you. I had a professor in seminary who, he, he had a specific place, a, a chair in his room he loved to sit in, but he also had a specific thing that just brought to him the, the comforting presence of God. He had this hair dryer, and it was an old-fashioned hair dryer, and it had this tube. And he said oftentimes he'd just run it up, and, and he would just slip it like in the corner of his jacket or his shirt or whatever he was wearing, and that warm air as it flowed over him would just remind him of God's comforting presence. Now, that may not be your thing, but maybe there is a chair. 
Or maybe there's a room in your home. Or maybe, like Brother, An- uh, Brother Andrew, you, you, as you're in the kitchen, as you're, you're washing dishes, as you're scrubbing potatoes, as you're doing those sorts of things, you can be praying for those who are going to be eating from those plates or who have just enjoyed dinner. Or, or, or maybe the others around the community who you know are, are eating at that very time. Or maybe like Eric Liddell, who, whose story was made famous in that movie, Chariots of Fire. It, for you, it, it's not indoors, but your space is outdoors. And you, as you just run, and maybe it is as you run, you experience the presence and the glory of God. And so that becomes an opportunity for prayer. Or maybe like St. Francis of Assisi, this, this monk who wrote the beautiful hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King. He was known for walking around the trails, talking to the birds, the bees, the birds, whatever would listen, the rocks even, about the glory and majesty of God. So maybe it's a room. Maybe it's a favorite walking trail. Maybe it's a chair. Find that place. Behind all these suggestions this morning is this simple but also very important thing. To pray. To be persistent in our faith. To share with God whatever is going on in our lives. To invite God's presence. To listen for God's voice in hopes of discerning His direction. But to do so in such a way that we don't quit. That we don't grow weary. That we don't lose heart. So may we be like this persistent widow. May we find times. May we find those places. May we find those means by which we can pray and not lose heart. And in so doing, may we experience the justice, the mercy, and the grace of God in ways that forever change us. Ways that meet our needs. But may we also go boldly before God's throne knowing that we have a God that we're talking to is not unjust, but a God who loves us. And a God who says, please share your anxieties and cares with me because I care for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.